Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu. I'm your host, Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with an orotund Charles Coulomb. Orotund? Yeah. Fat? <laughs> Cannon-like? Behemoth-like? <laughs> the Incredible Hulk? Gigantic? That's what we're saying? Pretty much, yep. Yeah, well, that might have been true last week. It's not true now. Okay, okay. I Well, I can't say I'm thin as a bone. That would also be a lie. But I can say that there's a lot less of me than there was because a lot has happened since last we convened. In our last story, you remember, uh, I we weren't able to speak because I was in Dallas. The last time we spoke, I was actually in beautiful New Hampshire. That was our last uh, our last episode. Uh, two glorious weeks ago. A lot has happened. I crossed the ocean four times. Ladies and gentlemen, take it from me. Crossing the ocean four times in a week and a half is not smart. Don't ever do it. Because I had, unknowingly, during the course of those two wonderful conferences in uh New Hampshire and Dallas, and they were wonderful. I had a great time. Great people. Um, but I got extremely fatigued. And that amount of fatigue, in turn, covered up something. I was sick. Sepsis. Really sick. And so Saturday night, when we were going to do the show last week, ladies and gentlemen, I really wasn't up to it. And the following day, I checked into the hospital. No, not rehab. Thank you very much. Rehab. Who comes up with this nonsense? Rehab. No, but it was sepsis, and it was actually a close thing. Um, but without wanting to go into gory details, ladies and gentlemen, I've still got, uh, it looks like, some surgeries ahead of me in a month's time. But uh, I am. Free of the infection, I'm in a little bit of discomfort, but not a great deal. And um, here once more to try to buoy up your spirits in this time of Gavin Newsom triumphans. Did you know that Gavin Newsom was actually a Chinese transvestite named Mei Ling? No, I didn't. They should do a movie on that. Yeah, they should. I think that'd be good. No, I mean, why not, ladies and gentlemen? Everybody just slobbers crap out of their mouths today. Why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? Why can't I say that Gavin Newsom is actually an 85 housewife living in Seattle under the name of Helsey Starbuck? <laughs> it may be true. I don't know. You know, everything is such such drivel. It it I don't know. Why should why should I be left out? When our lords and masters and the influencers and all the rest of that crowd are are constantly, constantly putting out drivel, why don't I get to cash in? Hmm? You need to put the right drivel. The right like, drivel. You, you, you're putting out the wrong drivel. See, there, there are 
There are different classifications of drivel, you see. Oh, Nancy Pelosi is actually a 13-year-old macrame artist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I don't know. Could be true. I've never met the one. She could be 13 for all I know. And she could be into macrame. Have you ever heard it said that Nancy Pelosi was not into macrame? Can confirm. I have not heard that. Uh-huh. See, no proof. She could very well be a macrame mistress, and you would never even know. I don't even know what macrame is. What is, what, what is macrame? <laughs> is this like well, aspic? This is like some hidden forgotten novelty that... <sighs> macrame. I don't believe I'm doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, you talk about the lost arts... Um, Textile produced using knotting? Yes. They did all kinds of stuff with that. They'd make lamps with it. And I had a very nice macrame lamp. But macrame wall hangings, see? There you go. The big book of macrame for 23 euros, 40 cents. You can have your hands on that. <laughs> Wonderful, Charles. I'm sure... Yeah, okay, so it's quite possible. Yeah, I can picture it now. Nancy Pelosi just sitting on a, a big comfy chair doing macrame. Yes, and she's 13. And she's 13, yes. Yes. And she's she's listening to old Bobby Sherman records. <laughs> what? Absolutely. Why, why can't she be into teen idols of the late 60s? <laughs> Well, all right, fine, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, I, I can tell our Lord and Master are fresh from the Tumblr House Power ah, Tumblr House Tower Halloween party, as he obviously has come staggering in with like some sort of attempt at sanity. But don't think I do I do so without some protest. <laughs> I understand that the girls in the secretarial pool have come as um, uh, girls from 2022 as imagined by girls in 1964 with like weird ray guns in their heads and stuff. Super clever theme. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, and I, I understand that, uh, I understand that uh, Chief Clancy has come as justice. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Blind, <laughs> with a blinder and the, and the scales and everything. And uh, Tyrone came as a 1960s peacenik. Yep, Every, everybody yep. seems to be adapting the the opposite persona of their you know of what they're really like. Um, the the uh, what's her name? Old Rose, the cleaning lady, got herself dolled up. She came as Queen Elizabeth the first. Ah, which I, I I would have given anything to see because she doesn't have a lot of hair on her head. And to see her with that big pile would have been really amazing. So I'm I'm sorry I missed the party this year, but um, there were there was uh, bobbing for apples and all that. Oh yeah, all all the festivities. Uh, so ca ca caramel apples. Bobbing for caramel apples. No, no, no. Well, you can't <laughs> well bob, bobbing for French fries. No, in the the hot fat. No, you're just. Caramel apples yeah, to eat. Of course, of course. 
and uh, Indian corn and autumn leaves on the display. Oh, yeah. And plenty of candy corn, piles of candy corn, more than you can stomach. that's a hard one for me to for me to to deal with but yeah all right i'll take it if if uh no that's that all sounds good any trick-or-treating in your neighborhood this year do you think uh i think there's gonna be more i think uh for sure um because last year was still kind of people were still a little bit being weird about covid i think um but uh i'm hoping a lot more uh, we're not exactly on like the popular street. You know, there are certain streets where there's like this reputation where they go all out and turn their houses into like haunted houses. And yeah. they, they just spend like an entire weekend, you know, putting up the decorations for their house. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, but so we're not on that street, but I'm sure we'll get some peripheral um, people. Well, that's good. Yeah. Do you, do you want to say it or should I? You say it. You don't want to say the veil? You say, no, you can say the veil. All right. The veil between the worlds is very thin this time of year. Is that that weird enough for you? That was perfect. The eye acting was off the charts there. Oh, very good. Very good. The, (laughs) the, uh, I, I wouldn't go out at night if I were you. Not, not during Hello Mass. For for some reason, the eye acting there it reminds me um, of the guy who sings Monster Mash. But you showed me the like the live performance. Oh. I've never seen the live performance, and he does the Boris Karloff. Thing. Yeah, and it's just like nonstop. I highly recommend it for those who who haven't like seen the live performance of that song. Um, it's, well, live is is perhaps a uh, well, yeah, exaggeration. No, it, the recorded performance. Record. But I mean, it's the guy himself doing it. Yeah, in black and white on um, uh, American Bandstand. Hmm. In fact, many many years ago, the Monster Mash. Yeah, yeah, that kind of epitomized the Halloween of my childhood, which uh, I miss. But there is another feast that we need to think about. It's very very important. Can't forget it. And that is Christ the King, this being the last Sunday in October, Christus Rex. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, this is the beginning of the time of year, the celebrative time of year, as you might say. And as I've said, year after year, especially when things are so crazy and stupid, this is the time of year to really glom on to the celebrations. So what do we got? Well. Halloween, of course, uh, immediately after Christ the King. All saints and all souls. Very good time to remember our dead and to remember that we ourselves will be among them. And that's not just a question of being morbid, ladies and gentlemen. It's also a question of refuge. Because remember, the, the Gavin Newsoms and the other pieces of garbage that sprout across the stage, they'll be gone in 10 or 20 years, nobody will remember them. But so will we. Maybe not in 10 or 20, maybe a little longer. But we'll get out of this, you see. Uh, if you think, well, our civilization is falling to pieces, and so maybe it is. Maybe we have no way out but down the drain. Yeah, 
but it's not permanent and we'll be out of here. That's important to remember, just as is the need to continue to do everything we can in the world as it is. Uh, I always like to point out to all of our ancestors in the Black Plague, who had children anyway, they had great signs of hope in the future, but they also knew better than we do because they saw it all around them, um, that death would come for them sooner rather than later. And that's a balance, ladies and gentlemen. You have to try to maintain a joy in life and, and a hope in the future on the one hand, while on the other hand, remain remembering that eternity gets closer and closer every day. And that eternity is really where our hearts must be. Um, in the new calendar, Christ the King is at the last uh, Sunday in November. And it's given more of a, an eschatological character. But I celebrate both days, partly because I just love the kingship of Christ. But more than that, uh, both are true. Christ is very much king of this world. And he is very much king of tomorrow king of beyond. Um, and I think, ladies and gentlemen, we're at our happiest when we try, when we strive to live our lives as subjects of Christ the King in both fields, in this world and the next. But when All Souls passes, we will have St. Hubert's Day, which is another one of my favorites, the association with hunting and Jägermeister, for those of you who are, don't have pallets. And, you know, it's it's the, the whole idea of the hound and horseman I really love. And then, of course, uh, a very, very important day, hugely important, November 8th. Your birthday. Yes, my birthday. Also, the four Holy Crown Martyrs and the Byzantine calendar, the Synaxis of the Great Archangels. November the 8th is in the Byzantine calendar with September 29th is for us. So it's a, it's a wonderful day. November the 11th, Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, Veterans Day, but also Martinus, the Feast of St. Martin. So if you can grab a goose, do so. But wait, there's more. Thanksgiving. And although Thanksgiving is not because of its... American puritanical element, something I'm all that excited about. It does have pleasant memories for me, and I hope it does for all of you. And during all of these holidays leading up to Advent, enjoy them, ladies and gentlemen. Celebrate them, savor them, read about them, listen to music, read poetry, get into them. Get into them as much as you possibly can. The same will be true with Advent, and Lord knows with the 12 days of Christmas and with the Christmas season. Uh, it's been true certainly every year these past few years, but never truer than now. We need the joy that these days bring us to get through and to remind ourselves of Christ as King of the present and as King of the future and our own need to operate, to be as happy as we can, as effective as we can, in the immediate, and to prepare for that that great world beyond, where if we make it to heaven, all this will be a bad dream. So, anyway, 
there you go. There's your, your sermonette for the week. All right. Um, how do you feel about going into the memes of production, Charles? I say nationalize the memes of production. For the common good. That's right. All right. So uh, some developments with Twitter. Um, Elon Musk has completed his uh, takeover, and uh, he is our new overlord. Uh, So we are going to celebrate him. This was a meme he actually put, um, I think, uh, several weeks ago. Um, And this represents me, for sure. Um, So uh, it's a picture of the O.J. Simpson uh, Bronco chase, where there's like 50 cop cars behind him. Uh, It says, me trying to escape mainstream media. And everything that's chasing after him is lies of omission, diversion, half-truths, staged events, unbalanced coverage, euphemisms, propaganda, fabrications, straw men, only two ideas, quote, anonymous sources, unquote, uh, and bias, of course. That so, that covers everything for me. <laughs> so, so this explains your denial of Nancy Pelosi as a 13-year-old macrame queen. I feel like that would involve, quote, anonymous sources, potentially, or unbalanced coverage, or... <laughs> Definitely <bias>. unbalanced. <laughs> <laughs> Off its bloody rocker, I would say. That's, that's me. <laughs> I, just out to lunch coverage. <laughs> Gonzo coverage, <laughs> coverage from coverage from beyond the straitjacket. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So, um, all right, we have a oh so okay. So the other one that I have is very very special. Um, let's see, not last week, but I think it was like two week, a week and a half ago. Just Charles was being obnoxious uh, and sending oh, like and, and sending me texts uh, bragging about aspic. Something is good for you. Something was going on, and and I honestly, I I had had enough, and I wanted to go to the people, the fans, uh, let them decide once and for all what is best: aspic, chow mein sandwiches, Cincinnati chili, or none of the above. So I did a little Twitter poll. We got. A, I was actually really surprised how many people responded. Two hundred sixty-seven votes. Wow. You go to a restaurant and only three items are on the menu. What do you choose to eat? Forty-four percent of the people decided to order off the menu. <laughs> little bit of product placement oh, there. I like that. Yeah, strategic. Yeah, that's why they pay me the big bucks, Charles. <laughs> yeah, I guess, and I get, and I get the, uh, I, I, I get the, the tag ends, but never mind. I'm not better. Now, I, this poll actually went exactly how I thought it would go because I'm actually intrigued by Cincinnati chili. Cincinnati chili came in second place with 34 percent. Behind that, chow mein sandwich. I imagine all just you freaky New Englanders just hey, kind of hey. voted in there for. Thirteen percent, thirteen percent. So that's hey, lucky (laughs) thirteen. And then the real crazy people, Aspic, came in with eight percent, which I felt like was a good showing for Aspic. I mean, you never eaten Aspic, you don't know the joys. (laughs) 
Well, you know, let's we've we've got a couple comments too because I, I want people to to comment on this. Let, let, and, let um, me tell you something. If yeah. you had Liz Boydston's aspect, you would have a very very different point of view. Okay, well, you know, domestic coffee man Bill agrees with you. He says aspic is the only choice. What other dish brings to the tongue and refines to elegance the mystique and delight of sideshow oddities and anatomical <laughs> specimens? By the way, by the way, Fiji mermaid in gelatin would make a killer modern art piece. Well, if those are our allies in the struggle, I think we can do without it. But it's very funny. I like that Fiji mermaid in gelatin. Flambe. <laughs> Set the bloody thing on fire. Why not? <laughs> uh, um, Chicago Jacobite uh, commented too. He's always feisty. He says chow mein alone is nothing but glorified chop suey. I can't oh, imagine oh, oh. why one would want to slop it up with bread. Aspic is misuse of food as decoration. <laughs> you know, you guys. Okay, firstly. <laughs> Chow mein and chop suey are extremely different, number one, especially for those of us who are aficionados. Uh, the biggest difference being that chow mein has no noodles, or uh, chop suey has no noodles. It's just vegetables and mm. sauce and sometimes meat. Uh, as far as slopping them up with bread, if you observe how a chow mein sandwich is constructed, it is crowned with bread. It's not slopped up. And the the uh, as, as far okay. as crowned. crown yeah. crown, and as far as the the uh, aspect being a misuse of food as decoration, I don't see why food can't be beautiful as well as delicious. I mean, do you have some, do you have a real problem with bits of flesh and Vienna fingers and sticks of celery and carrot? Uh, floating in a savory gelatinous beef and tomato uh, gelatin. Is that beautiful, though? I contend that it's neither beautiful nor delicious. <laughs> you haven't eaten it. You haven't seen it, so you don't know. Okay. Um, so um, he continues. He says, nobody I ever met wanted to eat aspect. I have. Aspe well, we haven't well, met. But Cincinnati chili is an argument for moving to Cincinnati. Ooh. We used to have a few shops in Chicago that served that delicacy, but the locals here have pallets geared to the best pizza in the world. And it is, there a, is there a subtle hint there? Little, you know, yeah, kind little, of a, Chicago pizza, best pizza, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we, we've been through this. Yeah. So Everyone he, knows the best pizzas in Pismo Beach, California. He finishes by saying, I try to make the stuff myself, but can't get the recipe right. Oh, for some good Cincinnati chili. Well, next time I'm in Ohio, I may make a rundown. We'll see. Well, let me ask you this. Let me let me ask you this, Charles. What would you what's at the top of your list? If you had this option, what would you pick? Aspic, uh, chow mein sandwich, or Cincinnati chili? Those are tough, but I would say a chow mein sandwich. Chow mein sandwich. Okay. That's. I wow. do like aspect. And I wouldn't turn down Cincinnati chili. Let me make that very clear. I wouldn't turn up my nose at it. 
<laughs> okay. That's See, basically enough. for me, it's a win-win situation. And given the kind of restaurant that is likely to serve those three as its major, uh, <laughs> major things, I, I'd be fearful as to what would be off the menu. <laughs> Uh, Imagine I mean, that. That'd be pretty scary. <laughs> I, I I don't even want to think about it. You know, it'd probably be I don't know, uh Nancy Pelosi's macrame and buttermilk sauce. Uh have you ever eaten macrame? I don't think Mac from what I read, it seems like macrame is not edible. It is when Nancy Pelosi makes it. Oh, okay. It's a food source. <laughs> You realize she's fed the entire third world with her macrame? That is, that sounds like fake news to me. So does it? Bias, perhaps? <laughs> that, that, that is, wait, let's look at the chart. Let's look at the O.J. Simpson chart. Let's see, unbalanced coverage, so definitely that. Um, let's see, definitely some bias there. Definitely, an, well, you're kind of abiding by anonymous sources. And staged events. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like feeding the third world was a stage <laughs> You know, let me tell you something. As a 13-year-old macrame goddess, she's actually got Greta Thunberg beat. That, what, that, the how dare you? Yeah, the girl? how dare you check, yeah. How would you like to see Nancy and Greta in a, in a knocked out drag out? Mud wrestling. Now that would be interesting. Greta Thunberg and Nancy Pelosi mud wrestling. I wouldn't pay tickets for that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't pay for it. I'd, I wouldn't. I'd smell them. I surely wouldn't pay for it. And I'd, I wouldn't step inside. I'd say step right up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but I sure wouldn't go inside and look at that scene, I can tell you. But I, I, I would bet on Greta because she's got kind of a manic intensity. And Nancy's getting up there. Despite being only 13. Imagine that. Like your legacy is just being obnoxious in front of a microphone for a couple minutes. Yeah, well, I sure hope her parents cashed in. Yeah. Maybe right. they're going to pay her way through college that way. That would be something. <laughs> um. All right. State of the week time. Okay. What do we got? Massachusetts. And if possible, if possible, a little bit, a little bit of a, can we put a little bit of a spooky stuff on it? A little couple haunted houses, if you will. Haunted houses, heavens, it's Massachusetts. Exactly. That's why we, I picked that. I wanted it to have that well, flavor. Obviously, it being Halloween and it being the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Well, firstly, firstly, if you want really scary Kennedys. <laughs> all right now it's hard to get more frightening than that but we put them off the table so where do we start we start at salem now i have to admit that salem it brings out halloween's haunted happenings is a big deal in salem uh and they pride themselves on being the witch city and all this kind of stuff uh and it's it's all kind of bizarro things but for those of us who have an eye to the interesting there is a lot to see in beautiful beloved downtown salem where would i start i'd start with the house of the seven gables 
the side of the te- of the book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, next to the, the Buddha's birthplace. They've got a number of um, a number of uh, really lovely uh, exhibits and so on in that complex. Across the street is the fabulous Witch's Brew Cafe, and I uh, very fond of the Witch's Brew Cafe. The Nathaniel Hawthorne Hotel is a wonderful place to eat. Uh, the Witch Museum is worth seeing. They have an exhibit, a sort of multimedia exhibit on the witch uh, craze of 1692, which put uh, and has kept Salem on the map. Um, there are also the, uh, the gosh, I can't think of the name of it. I think it's Immaculate Conception. The Catholic Church in downtown Salem is is worth going to Mass at. Yeah, that witch um, museum. I'm seeing the 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 street view. It almost looks like a church. It was a church. It was the second Unitarian oh. church. Oh, uh, and indeed, the first Unitarian church, which is still with us, builds itself as a Christian Unitarian church, and the oldest Protestant denomination, uh, Protestant congregation in America. It was it was congregational and went Unitarian. Uh, they're an interesting bunch all on their own. Um, you've got really a lot of beautiful uh, buildings in Salem: Salem Maritime Museum, the Essex Peabody Museum, all of which are really really worth seeing. Um, from there, there are some t- towns really close by: Marblehead has a lot of beautiful buildings, old churches and structures and so forth uh, worth seeing. And again, like Salem, very much a maritime oriented place. Um, you go south of, well, sorry, you keep going north of Salem and you'll come to Gloucester, which is a big fishing port. The Gloucester fishermen is there and so on and so forth. Beautiful town, Cape Ann Peninsula. Keep going further north, and you will come to Newburyport. Again, beautiful architecture, lovely places to eat. Just really, really neat place. Um, and I, I, uh, I love the North Shore. In uh, Gloucester, Mass., also, you'll find the Hammond Museum, which is a castle built by an inventor by the name of Hammond back in the 20s. Beautiful place, well worth seeing. So let's go back south. Um, we'll go to um, Boston. And in Boston, you'll find the Freedom Trail, which is well worth walking. Even if, like myself, you're a diehard Tory, uh, these are the events that made our country for better or for ill. Uh, places like King's Chapel and Old South Meeting House, and Faneuil Hall Marketplace. Faneuil Hall is also really worth exploring, more than just the old historical spot. Although Faneuil Hall has the museum of the ancient and the headquarters of the ancient Honorable Artillery Company of Boston, which is the city's uh, oldest militia company, going back to 1636. And the... uh, there are a number of Catholic churches that are really, really worth seeing uh, in Boston. The cathedral is Holy Cross. There's uh, 
the mission church, as it's called, which is a redemptorist church, the uh, Eucharistic shrine of St. Clement that the Oblates of Mary the Virgin run, and the uh, church of St. Leonard in the North End, which is uh, Italian. And the North End is Italian, really worth seeing. In Boston, unfortunately, some of my favorite restaurants have died in recent years. Uh, Durgan Park, um, and a number of others. Uh, oh, gosh, it was on Water Place. What was the name of it? Lock Ober. That, that was a real institution going back to 1872, and it closed about six years ago. Real loss. Um, Boston Common, of course. Uh, the Constitution. I mean, there's so much to see in Boston. Um, it really, it really is worth exploring in detail. Uh, just outside in Newton is a place where you can get the Tridentine Mass regularly, uh, or could. I don't know if things have changed. Then you go a bit south of Boston. Well, go out a little bit west. You'll come to Brook Farm if you're into Brook Farmers. You'll come to um, uh, Walden Pond, where uh, Henry David Thoreau wandered around maundering, and you see a rebuilt cabin. Uh, Lexington and Concord are really worth seeing. That's the uh, uh, the great Minuteman National Park. Oh, um, I didn't mention the old state house in Boston, but you want to see that. Um and then in Concord, there's the Colonial Inn, which is really, really worth eating at. Uh, Sudbury Mass is worth seeing for Longfellow's Wayside Inn, which is one of my favorite places on earth. I didn't get there this time. I had hoped to. It didn't happen. Um, but it's it's really lovely. And you get to... Um, you also see, if you want, St. Elizabeth's Chapel, which was founded by Ralph Adams Cram. Beautiful place. All right, now let's head south a bit. Uh, we'll come to Quincy with the Church of the Presidents and the uh, Adams National Park, all of it dedicated to the Adams family. No, not Morticia and Gomez, the presidential family. They spelt it differently. Uh, go a bit further, you'll come to Plymouth, Plymouth Rock, and a number of museums dedicated to the pilgrims and also Plymouth Plantation, which is a living history museum. Well worth your while. Um, you can go out, of course, there's Cape Cod. Uh, there's the, the Kennedy Museum out in uh, Hyannisport. And uh, well, it goes all the way out to Provincetown. It's quite an unusual place, Cape Cod. Go a bit further. You come to the great whaling port of New Bedford, Mass., my dad's native town, home of uh, chow mein sandwiches with its neighboring town, Fall River. Uh, the, Fall River the New Bedford Maritime Museum, uh, the Siemens Bethel, St. Anthony's Church, which is one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen in my life. St. Antoine, it's French-Canadian. Um Really, a New Bedford is a wonderful town. Uh, it was somewhat, somewhat, uh, what's the word, vivisected by the freeways in uh, the early 60s, which mid-60s, which really damaged the view, but there it is. Then you've got Fall River, 
mass next to it. Also great for, for, um, uh, for, um, my mind is really going, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for, um, chow sandwiches. That's it. And it's got a, uh, a naval yard and a few museums. It's also got my family plot at Notre Dame Cemetery. So one day, if you want to come visit me, you'll have to come to Fall River and say hi. I'll be there with my folks and my grandparents and a lot of other people. A lot of other cool homes all stacked in that place. Now, one place I neglected to mention in Concord, apart from the Minuteman National Park and the Concord Bridge, was also uh, certain historic houses where Hawthorne, the Alcotts, and people like that lived. The old manse, the wayside, not to be confused, the wayside inn, all quite lovely. Also, I didn't mention in Cambridge, Mass, Harvard University. It's worth seeing the campus. Um, moving west, um, there's a lot to see in the western part of the state, in Worcester and Springfield. Um, but uh, Sturbridge Village, which is another uh another uh living history museum is really really quite nice um and St Anne's shrine next to it which is St Anne's shrine uh in Sturbridge is a French Canadian shrine originally i didn't mention the French Canadian church in Fall River well there it is there's a big French Canadian church in Fall River i forgot it's beautiful, though. It's it's um, and they're using they do the Tridentine Mass there now. Anyway, so um, yeah, you've got Sturbridge Village. You've got the uh, miraculous shrine of Saint Anne. Go first, and you will come. Are you ready? Can you stand it? It is Halloween. You will come to the Connecticut River. And there's Springfield, which is a big industrial city. The Springfield Arsenal is very famous. We go north along the Springfield, the Connecticut, and you'll come to historic Deerfield, which is another historic village. Beyond that is Northfield with the new campus of Thomas Aquinas College East. Um, keep moving west. You've got the Mohawk Trail, which is very beautiful. And you will come at last to the last bit of Massachusetts, the Berkshires, a beautiful range of hills, a uh, lot of things to see in the Berkshires. But I particularly recommend the um, town of, um, oh, heavens, I am going crazy. I think it's Southampton, but let me make sure I know what I'm talking about. Um, Stockbridge, man, my mind is gone. Stockbridge is really, really a wonderful town. Uh, you've got the, for one thing, the Our Lady of Mercy Shrine run by uh, a Polish order of priests, which is just beautiful. You've got the Norman Rockwell Museum. Norman Rockwell lived in Stockbridge. And if you like American illustration, and I do, you'll really, really enjoy it. 
The town itself is beautiful. The Red Lion Inn goes back to colonial days. And really, it's a tremendous place. Uh, I've looked at a couple of other places in Massachusetts. There's so much I could point out. But suffice to say that for such a small state, it's got an awful lot to see. I'll, I'll say um, there's a lot of really interesting things in Massachusetts. I think if I ever visited New England, I would start with Massachusetts. Um, well, you'd, certainly, you'd probably fly into Boston. Yeah. Uh, and then New England as a whole is fascinating. I, I mean, you got to bear in mind that New England, like New York and uh, Pennsylvania and Jersey and Maryland and Virginia and the Carolinas, we're all settled in colonial days, so they're, they're eastern parts. The areas that were settled then are dense. I mean, they're, they're surrounded by forests, which in a way that you wouldn't get in California. But they're dense in a way that Europe is dense, and every town has something to offer. Mm. It's, I mean, with us, as you know, you can drive for hundreds of miles. Now, the towns are very similar. And there may be historic house museums and different monuments, things like that. But they don't have anything like the same sense of place. Hmm. Uh, you will find that in southern Louisiana. You'll find it in northern New Mexico, which takes us back to the fact that they were all settled in colonial days. Hmm. Wonderful, Charles. Uh, Charles. Um... I, I, I have to go back there. I just, I, I'm so envious because like, there's so much going on. Just looking at the broader map, you know, Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, all in a, one big line and just yeah. so many wonderful towns. Um, it's just oh, yeah. a, a world there. Right. Um, so, well, you know, one of my, one of my dreams and it probably never happened, but in colonial days, um, and it, it took a while, so it was like 1770 it was at its height. There was a road that went all the way from uh, what's now Portland, Maine, down to St. Augustine, Florida. And it was called the King's Highway. And it was called that because, you guessed it, it was under the direct maintenance of the king, kind of like our Camino Real in California. And... A lot of it has been sort of subsumed by other roads, uh, gone into freeways, whatever. But here and there, you'll find places that kind of, you know, curve off and are called the King's Highway. I would love, as, as a book deal, I would love to drive from one end to the other, um, sticking to the King's Highway and just recording what's there now. Hmm. I mean... That would just utterly fascinate me. One of the things I did, incidentally, when I was in uh, the Northeast two weeks ago, uh, Cesare the Pole uh, took me to uh, Tappan to meet my godson. Hmm. But Tappan was where the celebrated Major Andre was uh, executed. So we saw his uh, monument and the Dutch Reformed Church where they had his trial. And I met my godson in the tavern, the 76th house, it's called now, where he was held prisoner. 
very, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for the colonial era. There's no way around it. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I just envy about the entire New England area is how decentralized it is and how sort of spread out it is, you know, because it's so different from California where we're in the desert here. So you don't have this sort of decentralization, you know, the, these peripheral towns are, you know, like Lancaster and Victorville and, you know, it's, they're not exactly. Uh, they don't really sites. have lives. They don't really have lives of their own. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I tell you, if I lived over there, I would just explore every single town. Well, I'll tell you. You know, when I was uh, staying there in 2014 in Connecticut, uh, what I would do is, if I had to go anywhere of any length, I take that GPS and I'd put on no highways. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I had the best time going to these little villages and so on. In 2017, I guided a couple of friends of mine through New England. And the wife, who's Dutch, said she wanted to see lots of quaint little villages. And I said, oh, ho, 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 ho. You will see quaint little villages. And so she did and was duly, duly pleased with them. Hmm. All right. Questions time. All right. Let's do it to it. First question is from Too Young to Be a Curmudgeon. Hmm. He, uh, they say, Dear Mr. Frankini and Mr. Coulomb, my youngest sister now considers herself too old to trick or treat, but is desperate to do something traditional and festive for Halloween. She loves Charles's talks on the old ways of celebrating the holiday. Therefore, if he can, would Charles please offer up suggestions? For context, we live in the greater Los Angeles area. Much appreciated. Well, yeah, costume parties, of course, are always good. Uh, bobbing for apples, uh, making caramel corn. Uh, sorry, caramel apples, I meant to say. Popping corn. You know, this may seem like a small thing, but it's a lot of fun to pop corn with kids. Um, and, of course, you can watch uh, some old movies. Uh, preferably something like uh, one of the, oh, you know, the Disney Headless Horseman or something like that. Yeah, Disney cartoons were really good back in the day. Yeah, they really were. And um, that kind of, of spooky is fine. Um, uh, and telling ghost stories, of course, um, especially if they're, shall we say, folk tales. Is always good, or if they're kind of jokey, um, that kind of thing is what we did, anyway. And um, yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good thing, and also in particular, Halloween is a night um, when you want to teach your children about praying for the dead, about um, the defenses of the church against evil, against spiritual evil, holy water and the the uh, sacramentals and so on. And one thing to make clear to them is that these things really will protect them against evil. They really work. That's extremely important, and enough people aren't told that today. And also, 
it can be a good time if it's not a, a party, you know, if you're just chatting with your children and they're asking questions about spooks and witches and goblins and everything else to tell them that, you know, the church has the answer to everything and uh, can and will keep them safe if they avail themselves of it. And that, you know, there is spiritual evil. It does exist. Um, but one of the two big reasons why the church is here, the other being, of course, to save souls, is to keep off the dark. So that kind of thing is good. And as I say, teaching them about praying for the dead, um, especially their relatives and uh, people like that. Uh, it's a good thing. And also, the beauty of the night, uh, carve the jack-o'-lanterns with them. You know, there's, I could tell you that something that uh, I treasure, memory I treasure for memories, plural, is carving the jack-o'-lantern with my dad. That was just a, an annual event that was a big deal. And to this day, I still carve my jack-o'-lantern in precisely the same pattern that he used to. Hmm. All right. A question from Neil, who says, uh, I have been recently listening to a podcast with my daughters about the Skinwalker Ranch and the associated weirdness that has occurred there. Seems that there are all kinds of paranormal phenomenon happening that doesn't seem tied to just one thing, but many. While discussing this with my daughters, I came upon the thought that maybe that area is a place where the veil between the fairy world and our own could be thinner than usual. Mm, the word. See, I'm not the only one who uses it. It seems that the area is full of things that could be lycanthropy, fairy, alien, poltergeist, etc. Do you have any thoughts on what could be happening there? Firstly, what's well, happening? For, let's get let's get into some of these. <coughs> well, what she says. I mean, the skinwalker, the cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, ghosts. I mean, it, if half the stuff, if a tenth of the stuff, what they say is really going on there. It's one bizarro place. And I wouldn't go there for all the tea in China, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Cattle mutilations? Really? That that has you scared? Well, yeah. The whole... I mean, what does that? You know? Wolves, a, animals? I don't know. What, no, mountain lion? It's not that kind of mutilation. They're surgical. Some creep? Uh, a, human, a, a human? Human creeps generally would have a hard time mutilating big cattle. They're likely to get gored. Okay. It's it's weird stuff. And frankly, I would just stay away. You know, if I owned the Skinwalker Ranch, I would surround it with a high impenetrable fence. I'd lock it, and I'd never look back. Of course, the feds would take it from me in Texas one day, but there it is. That'd be their problem. Where is this place? Is this in Texas? No, it's in the Southwest. Hmm. Arizona or New Mexico. It's, I mean, I've, I've heard about it. It's, it's not something I've studied. Is this so this is one person's property? Like, does a family live there or is this a museum or? 
a family have lived there. Now it's got an owner and they have all sorts of people in and out of there to, you know, teams monitoring the bizarre activity and so forth. It's, it's like the Kennedy assassination. It's become a study all in itself. You know, you've said a lot of bone chilling stories uh, mm -hmm. on the show that have really gone to me. But I tell you what, the Skinwalk, what I've heard from Skinwalker Ranch so far is not bone chilling. I challenge well, you to, to make it scarier. Uh, I can't do it because I have very purposely not kept the details in my head. <laughs> oh, and is all of this really revolving around the cattle? It's one of the big things there, yeah. I just include uh, me out. I'm going to have to look it up. I, it seems... Okay. You look it up. I, I'm, I'm not going to help. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you want me, I'll be under my bed weeping. <laughs> F fingering my Nancy Pelosi made macrame. For comfort. Wow. Okay, um, another question from Neil, who says, could Charles talk about the idea behind Psalm 95.5, quote, for all the gods of the Gentiles are devils, but the Lord made the heavens. Could this be taken to mean that all of the gods of pagan mythology are real and they are actually demons? What could be the ramifications if this is true? What does that say for one's, uh, for one's love of Greek culture, for instance, if it was built upon demonic influence? Well, I'll tell you, it could be said. I mean, the, the, those very issues um, agitated the, the church fathers and the medieval writers, because it certainly could be said that it means exactly what it says, that Jupiter and Odin and all the rest are demons. Um, different of the church fathers and different of the medieval writers had different views, different opinions, but it, it certainly is very unsettling and it does point to the fact that the world outside the faith is to a greater or lesser degree under the dominance of the evil one. And that, I mean, that's why it is. If you look at all of our, all of our, um, rituals and blessings for water and chalk and everything else. Uh, if you read them in the Latin, they are being withdrawn from a world under the shadow of sin and uh, made part of God's kingdom, which, again, if you read the uh, traditional Latin baptismal rite, is exactly what happens in the rite of baptism. The person is withdrawn from the fallen world. Uh, and this is shown by the fact that when the individual is first addressed by the priest, he is called creatura, which means creature. And this is true of all the other blessings, baptism, salt, or about water, rather, salt, and so on. <clears throat> our Lord says, our Lord, the priest says, uh, creature of water, creature of salt, etc., but then, after the promises have been made, the priest's spittle has been applied, uh, the anointing has taken place, 
the priest addresses the individual as plasmata, which means sort of formed one, uh, referring to the individual having been called away from the natural world, doomed to die. And then when he is baptized, the waters actually hit him. From that time on, the priest calls him Philuste, son of God. Now, uh, the reason for all of that is that with the fall of man, the world is fallen, and it is the haunt of demons. I mean, it's one reason why uh, the original revelation given our first ancestors became corrupt. It was under demonic influence. And our ancestors fell to worshiping demons, thinking they were worshiping gods. Um, again, we don't really realize just how dark and how awful the world outside baptism, the world outside the sacraments really is. And of course, that world itself is doomed to die, just like man, natural man is. Um, that's why there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, I know Solange Hertz uh, felt very strongly that um, the entire ancient Egyptian culture was based on worshiping demons, um, which makes sense. Well, yeah, and before you get too excited about it in one sense, remember that the Carthaginians based their culture on the sacrifice of infants. Sound like anybody we know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, we're on this level. and No, no, no. But the point, the point I'm making is oh. the people are quite capable of living under demonic influence in a demonic society and never catching on. Right. Right. Just never. I mean, St. John Chrysostom, I think, put it best when he said, if we could see reality as it truly is, we should faint dead away from fright. And I I agree with him. I think if we could see the... Remember, we all have our guardian angels. There, there are demons everywhere. There's all sorts of stuff going on in, with, and under everything we see. And if we really were aware of all this stuff, it would be upsetting. No, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Is folly to be wise. All right. Uh, final question for today is from Ian, who says, Hello, gentlemen. Since Halloween is right around the corner, can mm. Mr. Coulomb share some spooky French Canadian or Cajun and Louisianan folklore and legendary creatures? Oh, indeed he can. Well, let me see. In the old days, the, the old folks used to talk about fetiche, black magic, which was done by witches. And there was the Lugaru, the werewolf, who was a particularly nasty character because he was usually someone who had given himself over to the devil in return for the power to become an animal. Um... But more amusing than them were the lutins and the fey, the fairies, 
they were the lieutenant was kind of uh, problematic because the town was kind of ugly and liked to ride people's horses at night and get their uh, manes all messed up. And the story goes that one night a farmer got tired. Every morning he'd come in, his horse had obviously been ridden ragged and his mane was all knotted up. And so he spoke to the village priest and the priest said, well, why don't we, uh, why don't we try uh, an exorcism? So he did. But the next day, the thing happened again. So the priest said, you don't have a demon. You have a lutin. Well, what do I do? Well, the lutin has a very ugly face. So you hide in the barn with a mirror. And when the thing appears, you just hold the mirror up to it. Well, Late that night, he waited in the barn, crouched by his horse's stall. Sure enough, the door opened, and this very long-haired, long-fingernailed creature started toward the stall. But he lifted up his lamp to the farmer, and he held the mirror up to the lieutenant's face. The lieutenant caught his face and ran immediately out of the barn and was never seen again. Yeah, it's really ugly. I wasn't aware of that fact. What, you want the Lugaru stories with people getting torn to pieces? I can do that, but I don't feel like it. I'm tired. And the fee, of course, the fairies. Well, they were like the fairies of Europe. You know, they were, they came in several varieties. Some well-inclined toward human beings, some not. And they were, some of them were solitary. And some of them lived in colonies with kings. Um, and of course, we had a lot of our a lot of our stories, some of which ever are repeated all over Europe. For instance, there's a very famous one which I've read in I've heard in Canadian French, but I've read in many different versions. But basically, it goes like this: Jean Pierre is late one night. Coming back from uh, uh, coming back from work at the mill, and his wife is wondering what happened, and his daughter is wondering what happened, and his son is wondering what happened. Finally, about an hour late, the father comes in. He says, "Oh, I've had the most incredible experience," and his wife and children look at him and said, well, "What happened?" Well. I was walking by the cimetière, the cemetery, and I suddenly saw a long procession of cats, and they were carrying a coffin. And on the top of the coffin was a crown. And I hid under uh, on the other side of a rock so they wouldn't see me. And then they moved into the cemetery, and the gates closed. And then I came home as quickly as I could. I have never in my life seen anything so strange. The family cat said, what? Jean-Francois is dead? Then I am the king of the cats. 
And up the chimney he went and was never seen again. That's a weird story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think the idea is that uh, behind every every cat, uh, you know, by there by the fireplace, seemingly ordinary, there's some strange and weird bizarrity going on. <laughs> and of course, you know, in uh, we have a number of strange days. Uh, it's a great belief that on All Souls Night. The night after the Vespers, All Saints' Night, basically after the Vespers for the Dead, they can come back uh, from purgatory. And so, in some families, they would set up dinners for them, and then they would go to bed. And in the morning, they'd give the food to the poor. Wait, who would? Who is given, given French Canadian family. Oh, oh, okay, I see. You know, they the, had uh, dead people in the in their family tree, uh, Meme, Pepe, and whomever, hmm. and so they would make their favorite foods and so forth, and leave them out the dîner des morts, the dinner of the dead, hmm. and they would just leave it there and go to bed. And as I say, in the morning, they'd take it all away and give the food to the poor. You didn't want to eat it yourself, because if you did, you would join them. Ooh. Somehow, this never bothered the poor you gave it to, but it wasn't a good thing for you. Hmm. Weird enough for you? Uh, that was, yeah, that's pretty good. All right. And uh, then there were the traitiers, the healers. And these were sometimes old men, sometimes old women. And uh, one of the things they were particularly known for was ringworm. They would take their spit and rub it on your ringworm and it would kill it. Huh. Okay. Yeah, they, they had other, other uh, cures, but that's the one that sticks in my head. Bizarre? Very. Now, well, can you tell me some Southern California stories like that? Southern California Anglo folklore. Gravity Hill. You know. Oh! oh. <laughs> Gravity, Gravity Hill. Hill. Where, um, what is it? You put your, uh, there are various hills. Well, actually, um, yeah, there are various bridges that are on hills. And if you put your car in neutral on the bridge, um, it'll actually go uphill. If you put um, what is it, baby powder on, you'll you'll see fingerprints, and those fingerprints of of the school children that sort of w died in a bus bus crash that went off the bridge. So they're trying to save any other car that's on the bridge. That is an urban legend. <laughs> well, dude, that—that's the best we got. I mean, that—that's right at the top of the list. You want me to tell you Southern California stuff? There it is. Okay, you know what I'm gonna do to you for that? What? You know, your response. <laughs> what? I'm not gonna sing it because my voice isn't up to it tonight. But 
Last night at the dance, I met Mary. Uh, no, that's not right. Last night at the dance, I met Lori. So uh, loving and warm, an angel of a girl. Last night, I fell in love with Lori. Strange things happen in this world. You remember the? You remember that? I remember it being super creepy. Creepy. Yeah, it's a love song. Okay. And uh, he, uh, he, I, uh, as, he, as I walked her home, she asked if she could wear my sweater and said she was very, very cold. She said it was her birthday. I kissed her and asked if we, I'd see her anymore. And then she asked for my sweater and said she was very, very cold. I took her to her house and then I thought about my sweater. Turned around, knocked on the door. A man answered, and I told him, what have we done? And he said, you're wrong, son. You weren't with my daughter. How can you be so cruel to come to me this way? Our Lori left this world on her birthday. She died a year ago today. A strange force drew me to the graveyard. I stood in the dark. I saw the shadows wave. And there I stood and saw my sweater lying there on Lori's grave. Strange things happen in this world. I, I, I've got goosebumps because that's so creepy. It is creepy. And it's the uh, it's uh, Dickie Lee's version of um, The Vanishing Hitchhiker, hmm. which is a... Uh, uh, it's a um, urban legend that's found all over the country, but supposedly the original is the lady they call Resurrection Mary in Chicago. Hmm. Outside Resurrection Cemetery, she would be, the deal was that she would be picked up by different people, and they'd bring her to her house. And, of course, you know, they, she'd either vanish or whatever. They'd knock on the door, and the lady or the man would say either... You know, she's been dead for years, and what a terrible thing to say. Or she's been dead for years, and people keep bringing her back. Um, but the truth is, they say that Resurrection Mary will continue to haunt the Chicago highways until she's brought a bowl of Cincinnati chili. Wow. And... A set of macrame handmade by Nancy Pelosi herself with her own little 13-year-old fingers. Not going to happen. What? So Resurrection Mary is going to be stuck for eternity uh, soliciting rides on the highway just so people can can slurp up their Cincinnati chili and treasure <laughs> you know their... Charles, I, I'd pay you $100 if you wrote a formal letter to Nancy Pelosi explaining to me exactly <laughs> what you just – just write everything you down that you just said. Dude, Send it to like, Nancy Pelosi, and I will, I will give you $100. You know what? I, I, I Hold on. I can see how it would read. Dear Mrs. Pelosi. You may or may not be aware of the urban legend of Resurrection Mary in Chicago. 
the hapless lady reappears and uh, has been since the 1920s has been uh, getting rides with hapless motorists. Legend has it that this the, her spirit could be allayed if on her grave were laid a bowl of Cincinnati chili and some uh, macrame handmade by her own esteemed self. Would you free this poor wandering soul? You mean like that? Exactly like that. So, so do you think Nancy Pelosi would qualify as Halloween's queen of macrame? Makes me almost want to write like an uh, like a news article on this. <laughs> Just like, well, well, it's saying it already happened. Yeah. What I mean, what does that mean to be the queen of macrame? Like, <laughs> do you see how you are? Yeah. You know, what does it mean? See, that's why you're not a real journalist. That's why you're a purveyor of fake news. Whoa! Watch your mouth. I am no, not it's a. True. You should talk of old people. You say that. You. What do you? Who broke the, the Nancy Pelosi macrame story? Me. That's who. Exactly. You make a living off of fake news. It's not fake. Can you prove it's not true? Ah, smart guy. You can't. For all you know, as we're speaking this very moment, Nancy Pelosi is sitting in her office on Capitol Hill. Surrounded by literally yards of macrame. Doubtful. Doubtful? <laughs> you don't know. Have, why don't you write her a letter and ask? Dear Mrs. Pelosi, are the rumors true <laughs> about your affection for macrame? I'll ask and I'll give her your address. The person at this address is telling everybody that. <laughs> oh, I see. Blame the victim. Yes. Blame the victim. Shoot the messenger. <laughs> what, why, why do you have this hatred of Nancy finding fulfillment in macrame? Finding fulfillment. And that's what, wow. Okay, so we're gonna do that. Um, yes, we are. I mean, she's finally found a place in life for herself, and it involves well, large amounts of macrame. You know what, Charles? I'll meet you halfway. Okay. Um, I hope that what you say is true. I hope she's abandoned her evil ways. Her her infancy. I didn't say anything about that. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. Oh, okay. She's she not going to retire. Macrame. She's not retiring to macrame. No, 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 no. She could be macrame's evil queen. <laughs> like the one in Snow White, you know. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's got the most macrame of all? Seems All right. sort of pained. Uh, I, I am pained. Um, Why are you pained? You, you pain me. You give what do me you mean? pain. You give me grief with. How do I give you grief? It's Halloween. I'm helping. See, nobody would have pointed out to you the connection between macrame and Nancy Pelosi except me. You know what else? Well, that's for nobody, sure. Nobody would have ever introduced you to macrame except for me. Agreed. 
So, no, as far as I'm concerned, this is a win-win deal for you, pal. <laughs> I mean, you just, this has been an all-out cash them in kind of thing, kind of night. You're in the chips. I mean, this is your big night at Monte Carlo. You just scored big time. I mean, the, the, the roulette wheel has just, every, every number you called has come in. Doesn't feel like I wish I could cash in in other ways other than this valuable knowledge. <laughs> Is there anything more valuable than valuable knowledge? Yes, cash. All right, fine. All right, Charles. Be- let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. I am at my wit's end. This macrame has gone on too far, too much. All right, we'll find a Halloween macra- a macrame Halloween. Macrame Halloween. Okay. I like that. Do you like that? Do you like macrame? Not really. I mean, I don't dislike it. I had a very nice macrame uh, lamp-like thing that you put a votive candle in. It was quite nice, but it hmm. broke. Had it for years, though. It was made at the height of the macrame craze in the 70s, and it lasted till about 10 years ago. Oh, so it's like aspic. So it's like macrame is like kind of like the aspic of the aspic 70s. predates. I mean, by the seventies, aspic was dead. No, I know, but it's just like you know, it's a fad that came and went. No, it lives on. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to put a challenge to our listeners and our watchers today. I want to hear from everybody who's encountered macrame. About what? About their adventure with macrame, what it was like, if it was pretty, if they would made it themselves, and if they feel that macrame might improve your life as it has Nancy Pelosi's. No one's going to re- respond. You're going to be all alone. I think so. I, I, I think so, yes. I think, I, th- is- I think there'd be one or two fruitcakes out there, but beyond that. What about the magic of the Halloween season? What about it? Is that going to magic you up some responses? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, remember, Jack-O-Lantern is always waiting. The, the only, there's only one reason Jack-O-Lantern didn't emerge this evening. And you know why? Why? I'm too tired. Oh. Jack-O-Lantern requires energy. I don't have it. But what I do have, however, is a great good wish for all here present. And one thing I should say before we uh, mark off, and I'm I'm quite serious now, I got a lot of very nice messages mm. while I was in hospital, um, and I had a lot of others passed on to me, and it means a lot. Um, you know, the work we do is a lot of fun, of course, but it uh, it's a bit lonely, uh, and you wonder sometimes if you're just shooting bullets out into the ether. But if any and I have been able to bring you any help, any reassurance, any support in the midst of these ridiculous times in which we all live, then I assure you we are both heartily grateful and heartily privileged. And I really, really appreciate the prayers of my recovery. Don't stop them because I have a number of things I have to do yet uh, to be completely cured of this chapter of nonsense. Um, 
Anyway, with that, I have a question for you, Vinny. Yeah. If it's off the menu. It's Monday? <laughs> and so you save. Maybe your own? Yes. Both are, <laughs> both are true. Happy Halloween, everybody. God bless you. Good night. You did it.